This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Okay, this is Words of Integration and Guidance. Frederick and Mary Ann Broussat. Broussat? Okay, compassion is a foundation for sharing our aliveness and building a more human world. According to writer Martin Lowenthal, it is a way of relating to people, places, and things. And it is a key to transforming ourselves and others. The world's religions provide us with images that help put this spiritual practice into focus. The Buddha of compassion is represented in Tibetan iconography as having a thousand eyes that see the pain in all the corners of the universe and a thousand arms to reach out to all corners of the universe to extend its help, his help. The Christian mystic Mechtid, is that right? Of, huh? You're good. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I should have read this before you think. Uh, Of uh, Magdeburg describes the Holy Spirit as a compassionate outpouring of the Creator and the Son. Ryokin, the Zen monk who writes such wonderful poetry, puts forward in his image of compassion. Oh, that my monk's robes were wide enough to gather up all the people in this floating world. And Protestant Jim Wallace, founder, founding editor of the Sojourner magazine, writes, At times, I think the truest image of God today is a black inner-city grandmother in the U.S. or a mother of the disappeared in Argentina. Or the woman who wakes up early to make tortillas in a refugee camps. They all weep for their children, and in their compassionate tears arise the political action that changes the world. The mothers show us that it is the experience of touching the pain of others that is the key to change. The words of Scripture, a reading from, of Scripture from Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and light to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes of the blind, 
to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 3, 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, the beauty of a new year is that, in some ways, it's wide open. Anything seems possible. I could get in shape, run a marathon. Okay, maybe not quite anything is possible. I could write a book, could learn a new language, travel to a new country, start a new project in my neighborhood. A new year has the ability, right, to inspire us, to open up to new things. The challenge of a new year is also that it's wide open. There's a lot of things we could do, and perhaps the many things we could do feels a bit overwhelming, or perhaps we're a little bit jaded by failures of past resolutions that we've made. My friend Ogan says that perhaps it's better to think of intentions rather than resolutions. An intention is a way of being from within, and maybe it's a little less tied to outcomes. Resolutions might set us up for failure, whereas an intention recognizes that growth and change involve process and are messy, and sometimes we're going to take a few steps forward in that intention, other times we're going to take a step backwards, and sometimes we just need to hit reset. Well, all that said, a new year is upon us, and whether you've made 10 resolutions or two resolutions or resolved not to have any resolutions, perhaps a simpler place to begin is simply to listen. To listen to yourself. What's happening within you? What do you want? Listening to those inner promptings, I think, will probably guide you better than just about anything else in the year ahead. Well, it isn't clear what prompted Jesus to leave his life and family in the north country of Galilee, where he was living and was raised, and head south to the Jordan River when he was around 30 years old. But he went. Perhaps his mother said, Jesus, you're 30 years old. Do something with your life already. (laughs) Or maybe he had heard stories of this wild preacher who had long hair and lived in the desert and maybe had awakened some burning man instinct within him. But whatever the case, he went. Now John was quite the character. He was a wild sight with his camel hair coat, his leather belt, and his long hair. 
but he wasn't just a hipster rabbi. <clears throat> he was a prophet and a political dissident who was not afraid to speak his mind. And he is doing what he's doing outside of the official channels. He's performing religious duties, but he's not doing it in the temple. He's not doing it in a local place of worship or synagogue. He's doing it out in the desert without any official sanction. And yet there he is baptizing, preaching, offering forgiveness of sins. So kind of a wild character. And yet Jesus goes down and listens to this guy. Goes down to the Jordan, spends some time hearing what this John has to say, and something connects for Jesus. Something inspires him to be baptized by John. And baptism is, of course, a symbolic act signifying some inner transformation or perhaps a new intention. Marcus Borg says that Jesus may have undergone a conversion experience. Now, that's a little strange for us to think about Jesus having a conversion experience, but not the kind of a conversion that's from one religion to another, but more as William James defines it, is a process, either sudden or gradual, whereby religious impulses and energies become central to one's life. So imagine Jesus having a conversion experience under the preaching of a person who is sent to prison and then has his head cut off because he's speaking up against the local political and religious leadership. That's amazing to me. Not quite the way it was framed in Sunday school growing up. And many, if not most, biblical scholars say that this baptism suggests that Jesus was originally a disciple of John's. And Matthew's gospel may well support that by sharing that it wasn't until Jesus heard that John was in prison that he begins his own activity and his own ministry and preaching. Matthew, in the next chapter, says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. And then, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The exact words that John begins preaching in our chapter in Matthew. And so it's almost as if Jesus realizes, Well, now that John is not out doing his work, it's time for me to step in. And we read that when Jesus is baptized, something significant happens. Heaven opens, and Matthew notes that Jesus sees the Spirit of God descend like a dove. And he notes that Jesus sees this. He doesn't say that anyone else sees this. They may have, but he doesn't indicate that. And so Jesus sees the Spirit of God descend like a dove, and he hears a voice. A voice that says, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, often a text like this is used to support the divinity of Jesus. And it seems like a perfect setup. We've got God speaking, we've got the Holy Spirit, and then we've got Jesus. So it's almost like this perfect Trinitarian moment. And you certainly are welcome to use the text in that way, but I'm not sure that that's exactly what the voice is necessarily saying or what the gospel writer is intending. You might ask, well, why do I say that? Well, this is my son is a direct reference to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, and as John Howard Yoder, the theologian, puts it, this is my son 
cannot very well in Aramaic have pointed to the later Greek notion of the ontological coessentiality of the Son with the Father. Did you guys get that? <laughs> Theology can be very complicated. But it's really, it's much simpler than that. It's much simpler than that. Son of God, or this is my son in Psalm 2, is a reference to the king, the king of Israel. And, it's, and to use that language is not to make a theological declaration, but rather it is a summons to a task. So what's happening here is Jesus is being commissioned. Jesus is being commissioned. To what? Well, the voice goes on to say, with him, I am well pleased. A reference to the suffering servant, which we heard Scott read in Isaiah 42. And that suffering servant will bring forth justice, open eyes that are blind, free captives from prison, release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And so Jesus hears God calling him summoning him to be an agent of the divine will in order to, in other words, carry out God's purposes to manifest God's presence in that time and in that place. And so you could think of it this way. Jesus himself is evidence of what John was preaching. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he comes out of the waters of the Jordan on the edge of the wilderness, he comes almost as a new Moses, ready to lead God's people into a new exodus, a new liberation. Theologian Warren Carter says that Jesus discloses God's ways of acting toward human beings. In other words, as we see Jesus speak and act and teach and perform miracles and healings, we see God's intentions at work and how God works toward each of us. And so I'm wondering, what are some actions or teachings of Jesus that stand out to you? As you think about stories you've read, teachings Jesus gave, things he did, which of those reveals what God is like for you or stands out for you in a special way? And I'm opening the floor here. Yeah. Um, taking time to talk with a Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, absolutely. Speaking to someone who was seen as an outsider, both gender and race. Very good. Love one another, full stop. Love one another, full stop. Absolutely. What else? When, when Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Ah. Okay. So, say more. So Jesus is willing to reframe traditional understandings? Yes. You know, shun, shun you know, the outcast. Don't give them your coat. Don't feed them. You know, those pop into my head. You know, because that's the way they have been taught. And Jesus turns that around. And yeah and really represents to us, be open to learning something new and don't assume you already know how this is supposed to go or you already know what this scripture means, in fact, because he's always using scriptures when he speaks in that way. Very good. What else? 
Okay, mocking the emperor. Yeah, there you go. He rides a donkey into Jerusalem, sort of mocking, in a way parodying what Caesar himself would do, riding a war horse to display power into a conquered territory. And Jesus rides a lowly animal of peace. When he tells Nicodemus to be born again. Okay. Yeah, Nicodemus again, you know, was so steeped in what rabbinical, you know, all of his life. And then Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. You got to rethink this. Yeah, so even the most religious among us still need to have renewal experiences. Absolutely. So around the Mount and the many parables that seem to place a point of emphasis on reaching out to the people on the margins, to those that are lost, those that are on the fringes of society. Absolutely. Blessed are the poor. Uh, Sermon on the Mount and many other ways in which Jesus reaches out to those on the edges, those neglected, sometimes just through not paying attention, but sometimes intentionally neglected because they've built systems in which those people aren't clean or worthy to be in the community of God's people. So we see again and again Jesus spending time with outsiders, Jesus feeding the poor, healing the sick, crossing boundaries, speaking out against abuses of power, responding in love and peace rather than violence, suggesting that we forgive again and again and again and again. And one of Jesus' final acts is known as the Great Commission where Jesus summons his disciples, and by extension, you and I, to become ourselves agents of divine love in the world. So just before Jesus parts, he says, now it's your turn. And he summons us to the task of carrying on his work. The 16th century mystic, and Carmelite nun, Teresa of Avila, who set up convents based on poverty and simplicity in Spain. She put it really beautifully. She says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Boy, not a lot of margin there, is there? It's pretty well put. So if you're looking for an intention for the new year, how about this one? Pay attention to Jesus. Spend some time reading the Gospels. Read some scholarship. Read a provocative book about Jesus. Spend some time in prayer and in silence. Perform Jesus-like actions. And this may well prompt some stirrings, some inner stirrings within you. Pay attention to those as well. Because if you can tune in, even a little bit, to Jesus and to yourself, I have to think that sets up for a pretty good year.
Amen. And namaste. You're welcome to stick around after the service. Join us for some coffee and snacks. Get to know somebody new. On the back of your bulletin, you'll note some ways to connect this week. We've got a couple of pub theology gatherings, Friday coffee time, which anyone is welcome to. And then our next contemplative listening circle is this Saturday, 10 o'clock at Cornelis's. And now, as you go from this place, may you remember that the world is too beautiful to be praised by only one voice. And so may you have the courage to sing your part. May you know that the world is too broken to be healed by only one set of hands. And so may you have the courage to use your gifts. As you go, may the light of God in this new year shine upon you and within you and through you. Amen. And we go in peace. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.